So let's just start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together that we can gather around your word, that we can put aside the burdens of the week, the troubles of the week. And we thank you that in church we can really find, in this church we can really find answers from the Bible because we're not talking about tradition or money or personalities or the latest, greatest, but we're here just to talk about the timeless answers that we can find in the Word of God. We thank you for this congregation here and what you're doing in our midst. Again, we just pray for comfort for Christine and her family and the loss of her sister. And just really pray that you bless this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Job chapter 1. And the really the title of the series this month is Your Devil is Too Big. I want to explain what I mean by that. Um, and at the really, we're going to be tackling our authority as a believer. What is our spiritual authority as a believer? And in Job chapter one, we are we are let in on a conversation between God and the devil. And the book of Job, we know, is one of the oldest books that were written in the Bible. We know that Genesis, being the first book dealing with first things, but as far as a date of how old a book was written. Many scholars believe that Job uh, was written first in the Bible in a chronological way. And so it deals with one of the most ancient questions that man has, suffering, evil, and how much is God in control of all of that? And let's read here in chapter 1 and verse 6 of the book of Job. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, "Where from where do you come? I like God's questions because he always knows the answers. God asks questions to bring out a subject matter or to bring out what is in the heart of the individuals that he's asking. Jesus asked people's questions. And the purpose of the questions was to draw out what was inside of that person. And so the devil answers, Satan answers the Lord and says, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now it sounds like he's a little independent in his operation here, doesn't it? That he's kind of going where he wants to go. And that's the impression that the devil wants to give to people, that he is really independent from God and that he's moving as he will. But we'll, uh, we'll address that in a minute. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And this is verse 8. Do you know that God boasts about you to the devil? He says, Have you considered Mary Liz? Have you considered Matt? Have you considered Christine? The, devil goes, the God goes to the devil and just kind of rubs your life and your victory that you have in your life in the face of the devil. We don't know this. Job, by the way, the whole book of Job, if you've ever read it, God never tells Job what is going on. Isn't that funny? God never tells Job, hey, you know what? I had a conversation with the devil. Hey, it's all good. We came to an agreement. It's not going to get too hard. And you can expect some spiritual warfare. And By the way, you're going to lose your family and all of your belongings and your wife's going to hate you and all of this is going to happen. God never tells Job what's going on. And this is one of the most amazing things I'm loving this book more and more. And so the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? And so Satan says, 
Job is like that because you just bless him all the time. And God, in effect, says, well, I'm giving you permission to, to, to test him and to try him. And I want to end there because when we look at the subject of the devil, we have to understand that a lot of churches are not talking about the devil today because they don't even believe that there is a devil. And the philosophy today of many churches in Christianity is, hey, just be happy and be blessed. But we cannot have, and I like what Dr. Burkover said, he said, you cannot have sound theology without understanding the subject of demonology. And I just want to talk about this because, you know, how much light does it take to dispel darkness? How many have ever been in a dark, dark, black room and you can't even see where you are? How many have ever traveled and woken up in the middle of the night and you don't know where you are, where the objects are in the room? And that, you know, maybe your, your, the, your phone light just lights up the whole room. How much light does it take to dispel darkness? A little bit, right? Very little. And I think that devil, the devil who hides in darkness has to flee when there's a little bit of light that's shed on the topic. And so the devil just runs for cover whenever we shed light on really the truth about who he is. You know, first of all, the Dutch word for match, like the word match, like a, a match that we light, is actually Lucifer, the very word used in Scripture for Satan. And, you know, the Dutch word actually for match came from a historical word that, that really means that, that portrays uh, Satan as, as who he was before he fell. And we've talked about this before, but just by way of review, Lucifer, before he became Satan, was an, was an archangel. He was an angel that was really the head of worship in in heaven and he became aware and obsessed with his own beauty and he fell because of pride and today the devil does not appear to us as a grotesque and hideous figure uh, as he's depicted in folklore or in Halloween costumes he actually appears to people as an angel of light as a very beautiful being as a matter of fact the devil really hates uh, immorality or he hates the world of sin, because he's a very moral creature. And there are two aspects that the devil really wants us to uh, fall prey to. There's two ploys that are very effective that the devil wants the believer or the unbeliever to live in. Number one, he wants us to underestimate who he is so that he can lure us into hidden snares. He loves it when people deny his existence. And, that it, and when they ignore him. The second ploy or the strategy is to overestimate him, that we may be so intimidated by him that we are paralyzed by his quote-unquote power. Or if we elevate him to the level of God and become preoccupied with the devil. And those are two extremes. People either underestimate the devil or they overestimate the devil and they attribute to him things that God has never ever attributed. And so when we look at the conversation here that God has with Job, there's a few things that we have to understand that we always have to keep in mind when we consider the subject of evil and how much liberty does the devil have in this world. 
And I, I'm reading this book, and I, I want to encourage you to get a hold of it. It's by a guy named, his, his name is Lutzer. It's a great book on this subject. And I'll give you the title at the end of the service if you'd like, because I don't remember it exactly. But he says this, let us boldly affirm that whatever mischief Satan is allowed to do, it's always appointed by God for his ultimate service and benefit to the believer. Did you get that? In other words, whatever God allows Satan to do to Job is for Job to be blessed in the end. That is the perspective of every attack in a person's life. That's how we have to look at it. That if God allows the devil some kind of measure of attack in a person's life or evil in the world, the end goal is that God would be blessing the believer in the end. And we cannot forget this because this is the purpose of God. And I want to talk about that in a minute. The old Puritans back in the day used to say, to the increase of the saints' eternal joy. Do you know the results of attack and any kind of strategy the devil may have in a person's life, the devil means it for evil, but God always has a plan to bring it to the blessing of the believer. And so I just want to say this, that the, when we look at the book of Job, we notice that really when God says to the devil, stay, do not move, Satan must stand like a dog by the table while the saints are feasting on God's comfort. He does not dare, the, the devil does not dare to even move or snatch at a tidbit of food for the master's eye is always on him. Do you see how this is that God is in so much is in such control of what the devil is doing that the devil doesn't have that level of victory that that people would like to portray him to have. We look at when we look at the devil and we say that he's been defeated, we have to understand that he's been defeated three ways. And remember how we talked a few months ago about Lucifer's rebellion against God in the heavens. That was such a gamble. The devil took such a gamble when he said, the five I wills, I will ascend to the most high. I will be like God. I will ascend to the sides of the north, which means I will be exalted you know, as, as Jesus is amongst the saints. When he took this gamble, and it was an amazing gamble, when he took that gamble, he was immediately defeated. And that's the first level of defeat for the devil. That it was such a crazy gamble that he took, that he was going to lead a rebellion against God, that he immediately lost. The second defeat was that though he could have never predicted it, at the cross, Satan would be defeated spiritually, um, strategically. The first one is strategically, the second one is spiritually. Satan was strategically defeated when he gambled against God in his rebellion. And secondly, he was spiritually defeated at the cross. And thirdly, finally, when the devil is thrown into the lake of fire at the end of time, then Satan is defeated eternally. And so Satan has been already defeated three ways. Are you getting the picture of the devil and his power in, your, in, in, the, in the life of the believer? And so what we can see here is that what the devil tried to start to do in the beginning of time with a rebellion against God, the devil has become 
a hapless participator in a drama that he himself started. The devil thought, I will rebel against God, I will be free, and I will be exalted to do what I want. But the result is, is that now the devil has less control, less power, and less um, freedom to do what he'd like to do than he did before. So there are several wrong concepts that we can see of the devil. And I found this really goofy picture, and it doesn't really fit on the screen very well. But when we look at old, old pictures of like how people drew the devil, they're really these crazy pictures of like goofy, funny pictures. And I've always wondered about that, that why do these pictures of the devil look like a, jo- a joker or something idiotic or, jo- or, or goofy? And we can't think that the people of the Middle Ages actually believed that the devil really looked that way. They knew, as we know, that he was actually an evil spirit that was powerful, but they would draw these character, caricatures of him because they knew that this would strike at the heart of Satan's pride. The devil wants to portray himself a certain way, but we know that he is a created creature, that he has a beginning and he also will have an end. And though we should take the devil seriously, We have to understand that the devil does not have all of the attributes of God. Let me, I want to park here for a minute. And we say that God is omniscient. We mean that God knows all things, right? God knows everything at all time, at every moment. God knows what's happening in China, in a believer's heart there. He knows what's happening here in Warminster at the same moment, in real time. He knows what's happening in every mind, every person's mind at the same time. God is omniscient. Satan is not omniscient. Satan is a created being and he's limited. As a matter of fact, sometimes people attribute or try to raise the devil's power to the level of a rival to God. You know, the rival to God. But the devil is not a rival to God, nor is he even an equal to Jesus Christ or Jesus' brother, like the Mormons say. If we were to try to pit a rival against the devil in heaven, it would be Michael the archangel, because Michael the archangel is an angel that was created just like Lucifer was. So we have to understand what the devil's place is, is that he's not omniscient. Number two, he's not all-powerful. He doesn't have all power. He's not like the dark side of the force, like we see in Star Wars, where there's that equal where there's, you know, there's the, there's the force, the good side of the force and the bad side, the dark side of the force, where they are battling each other and then they battle to each other to a point where they actually become one. That's actually, that's actually Zoroastrianism. That is a very weird, that's a, and Hollywood loves that philosophy, the good against the bad. You know, we even have it in our army, some of our army symbols, the yin and yang. That is not God. That is not Satan equal being to equal to God. So Satan does not have all power. He doesn't. He does not have all power. Sometimes when people watch a horror show, you know, on, you know, on, uh, on TV or a movie like The Exorcist, and they see this crazy, demonic, powerful, scary, and it's just like Ron was saying, is that the devil projects fear because... Fear is just the absence of God's love and God's authority. 
When we live in fear, we're not living in our authority that we have as a believer. We're not living in the love of God that's filling our hearts. And that's not God's will for us to live in fear. The devil projects fear, which is a total lie, because he's trying to beef himself up to be something that he's really not. You watch something like The Exorcist, and I don't want you to watch that. Please don't watch The Exorcist or The New Exorcist or this new Lucifer TV series that's coming out that's all over the... We've all seen it on billboards on 476, I think, is it? Or four? One of the roots here. I'm still new trying to get, learn the roots. Uh, you know, this is not the devil of the Bible. And so he is defeated. Today, the devil is defeated. And despite everything that the way things look, God really is in control. So the devil doesn't act independently from God. He's not. He is not functioning independently from God. The devil, here's what happens. It's that many times we have this idea that devil does what he wants to do and then God gets involved when we ask him to get to intervene in the situation. Like we look at the devil doing all these things. We're like, oh my gosh, what a mess. He's just totally out of control. We got to get God to come in and intervene. But that's not what's happening. And I want to explain it in a minute. Satan is not operating independently. And sometimes churches can get into this. So-called some deliverance ministries. Um, look at G- Satan as one who calls his own shots and wields his own power. Limited only by the broad parameters that God has laid out for, sa- for him. Satan, according to this theology, sets his own agenda and is free to harass us without much interference from the Almighty. Satan is not as independent as people think. He is not. Only when we know that God is in control can we know who the devil is. You know, we cannot know who the devil is unless we first know who God is. Don't worry about trying to figure out who the devil is. Get to know who God is. And when we get to know who God is... Then we understand who our adversary is. Um, I, I just want to look at four, and this I like history, and I think this is going to be interesting for you. There are four different kinds of, and this is another funny picture I saw of Faust, um, the old, old play. 700 years of historic evolution of the concept of the devil that we have today. The devil that you see today that is in society or in Hollywood or, you know, that, that people generally think of is a result of a, over 700 years of an evolving thought. And there's, four ma- there's three major individuals in history, in recent history, that really have given us today the concept that is not biblical, but that many Christians have of the, of the devil. Number The first one, and this guy's name is Dante. You may know, you may not know who some of these people are, but Dante, he was a guy who was an Italian poet of the Middle Ages, and he wrote a play called Inferno. And this is a story about someone who takes the tour of the lower regions of hell. And actually, um, Dante pictures hell that that has nine compartments, and each compartment is dedicated to a special, a special form of torture depending on a person's sin. And in these compartments, and this is really kind of 
funky, but and it's not even biblical. And each one of these compartments, there are special demons that try to that will torture people and try to capture people, will capture people that try to escape or try to have any other kind of authority other than the devil. That is just a bunch of just imagination and is not in any way, um, and it was really dominated by medieval uh, backward thinking. And this is not based on any biblical content, but it's only based on folklore. Uh, Today, we see that that exists in some way that hell is portrayed for those that think about it as a place where demons are torturing people. And that's not what's happening in hell. And I think maybe later on this month we'll talk about what hell is. The second, the second big name that really has impacted uh, people's concept today in hell is a man by the name of John Milton. And he was an English poet, considered to be one of the greatest poet, British poets, and in his epic called Paradise Lost and Paradise Regains, uh, he recovers somewhat a more of a biblical portrait of the devil. And this was during the time of Shakespeare. He created a concept of the devil that was a mixture of imagination and some of actually Dante's, Dante's concepts. Not to get too far into it, he really portrayed the devil as the struggle between good and evil. The good and evil. And you know what? The believer today, we are not pitted in a struggle between good and evil. We are not in a Star Wars type of... And I like Star Wars. I'm a Star Wars fan. I, I, I like it. I think it's cool. Great star, sound effect. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I saw it when it was... My dad took me to see it in 1976 is when it first came out, right? I just dated myself. Yeah, uh, really. But Milton portrays the devil as a struggle between good and evil, that the devil is struggling, you know, they've got the, 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 the red angel here and then the white angel there and whispering into the ear and just, you know, do this, don't do this. And that is not the life of the believer. That is Milton's portrayal of the devil. We do not live in a continual struggle against evil. Why? Because God has already conquered that at the cross. Satan has been defeated in three ways. When we wake up in the morning, it's not, okay, back to the rat race with fighting my old sin nature and fighting my temptations and fighting my addictions. Because Jesus Christ has already finished that battle 2,000 years ago. Isn't that amazing? When you and I wake up, all we have to do is put on our clothes of victory. Our, you know, just like a judge puts on his robes that gives, that gives him the authority to make judgment. We also put on the robes of righteousness and the robes of authority that God is with us. I want to talk about that as we finish up in a minute. The third, third big name that really has impacted our concept of the devil is a guy by the name of Goth. And he really had uh, a major impact on what, we, what people look at the devil today. He wrote a play, and it was a... Um, he was a German playwright during the age of humanism and scientism. And he began the thought, and I know this is kind of a meaty, lectural type of preaching, so I don't want you to be bored by this, but he portrayed a thought that the devil is not like that superstitious character that, you know, of the medieval times, but that he's more of a uh, tame devil someone that you can negotiate with, someone that will meet your needs or tell you your future, 
Uh, he's a guy that, you know, the devil can actually be outsmarted. And, and you know, when, when Goth wrote this play about Faust, uh, Faust actually outsmarts the devil and gets what he wants in the end. This is not the biblical picture of the devil. And we see this today. You know, you see these homes, these, these establishments where you can get your palms read or, you know, you can negotiate or, you know, if you sell yourself to the devil, then he'll give you all what you want. This is not a devil that can be negotiated with. And so when we look at this, we have to really understand the proper understanding of who the devil is today. And when we look at today's concept, Today's concept, today's concept is there is no devil. There is no devil. Where's the devil? You know, and actually, actually, 25% of Americans believe that the devil is only a symbol of man's inhumanity to other people. You ever watch these news stations when they say that this person's really an evil person because they did something against someone else? That is evil, yes. But uh, the devil is the devil. The devil exists, and he's much more than the guy who is the one with the with the red cape and the pitchforks. But he is someone that has been defeated. And Newsweek said this: among Christians, the only only the born again crowd reveal a robust sense of the devil's presence. And so I just want to close with this. What are God's purposes? I said a lot about the devil, and I want to just, I want to um, uh, just, I want to go now to the point where, what are God's purposes? And I just want to say this. In God's purpose, Satan always loses, even when he wins. Remember that. When you see something happen in someone else's life or in your life, and you say, well, I really feel like I lost that battle you know just remember that satan always loses in the end even when it seems like he wins three things and i'll close what are god's three purposes number one god has absolute sovereignty in this universe that means that even evil is a part of god's larger plan of course we don't want to imply that god approves evil or does evil However, God permits it to happen. And as the, by virtue of the role of creator and sustainer of the universe, God is the ultimate, and this is important, though not the immediate source or cause that comes to pass. And we call this the permissive will of God. God may permit things to happen, but it does not mean that he's causing it. Someone might say, well, why does God permit the devil to do what he does because of the, you know, there's so much suffering and, you know, you and I have a system of justice that can be very strong. We may see a circumstance. We may be so disturbed by it. We may be so disturbed in our sense of justice, in our sense of what is right and wrong. We have to remember that God has a much bigger plan And that when we see something bad happen, we say, God, you allowed this to happen. I prayed that it wouldn't, and then you let it happen, and now I'm angry at you, and I'm not going to believe in you anymore, God. I'm not going to go to church. I'm just going to totally ignore you for the rest of my life. We have to understand that God's picture 
in things that happen, that God allows to happen, in the end is going to be a huge blessing in your life. It's just you cannot see it. You cannot see it right now. Because we are so finite. You know, when we are in this building, we cannot see what's going on in the rest of Hatboro and Warminster, can we? We're inside of this building. We are limited. But God has this satellite view. You ever look at a satellite picture of Google Maps and, you know, of a city? And you can just see everything that's going on all at once. That's the view that God has. And that's the view that God wants you and I to have. That we need to understand that God is absolutely sovereign. And how we perceive our enemy will largely determine how we fight against him. We can have a property, we can have a proper theology of the devil, only we have a proper theology of who God is. Listen to this. Only when we stand in awe of God will we find it unnecessary to be living in fear of the devil. If you're living in fear, and I love what Ron said earlier, if you're living in fear, look at God. Just begin to be occupied with God and his promises. And the next thing that will happen is, is that you will begin to understand who you are in the, in the eyes of God's love. When we understand that we are loved by God, that God will never forsake us, that he will never leave us, when we understand that all of our sins have been forgiven, that, we're not on, that Christianity is not a probation, you know, we're not on probation, uh, that we've been let out of jail, but we're on probation, that's not Christianity. Christianity is that all of our sins have been washed away at a moment of time 2,000 years ago at the cross. And that when we stand before God, we are not our sin. This is what Peter, Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I am not my sin. That's an amazing statement to say. And how could someone say that? God has washed away our sin. And today we stand before God holy and righteous. And someone may say, well, that's not really consistent with my experience. Last night, for example. Our experience... This is what people struggle with when they hear, you know, churches talk about grace. They say, well, you know, if God's so gracious, then, you know, why, why you know, how can that be? Then everyone just goes out and lives like crazy, like they, the way they want to live. But when we understand who we are in Christ, that our sins have been removed from us, that we are no longer on probation trying to fix our life, then that actually gives us the power and the fear to not live in the old in the old man. What's the greatest tool that the devil has against people? That is their past sin, their old sin nature, memories of things. And we always forget that Jesus Christ paid for all of that at the cross. And that's why for us the cross is such an amazing thing. We love the cross, not just as a relic or as an article, as an item, but it's a, it, it is a symbol that, that uh, reveals to us that Jesus took on all of our sin, he was buried, and he rose from the dead victoriously, and that the, today the cross is empty. I think the most amazing thing about the cross is what's not there. Jesus Christ is not there. I know that some crosses, you see Christ there, he's suffering, and he's defeated and he's sad i don't know if that's a good portrayal of the gospel of jesus christ that picture tells me that christ is defeated he's still on the cross and that sin conquered him and that god has forsaken him 
But for the cross, for you and I, the greatest thing about the cross is that what is not there, who is not there. And when we look at the cross, the most amazing thing about the cross is that Jesus is not there. That he took upon us our sins and he rose from the dead and he's seated on the right hand of God, defeating the devil. And so we have to understand that God is absolutely sovereign in this universe. And number two, God uses, and by the way, I just want to say this, the greater our God, the smaller the devil really is. The greater that we exalt God and we exalt Christ, the less power the devil really has in our life. How much attention and how much uh, focus do we put on the devil? I have a good illustration. If you take a coin, like a quarter, and I don't have one, uh, we're pretty much living in a cashless society now, aren't we? But if you take like a coin and you put it right you know, in front of your eye and you look at the sun, it's amazing that a single quarter can obscure the, bla- the blazing light of a sun. And the sun is a star whose diameter is, listen to this, 865,000 miles. Try doing a flying around the sun. Such a huge bright star can be obscured by just one little quarter that we put right in front of our eye. And that's what we do with God a lot of times. We take something that's so small and so insignificant, we get so obsessed with it that we're blocking the glory and the power of God. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to bring things into your mind and into your life that are so small, so insignificant, and so such a non-issue with God that it just blocks out the glory of God until the quarter gets near the sun. And then what happens? The quarter gets burnt up by the sun. And we have to be careful that we understand that, number two, God uses our conflict with Satan to develop character of faith. And this is the, here's the big answer. Why is there evil today? And why does God allow these things to happen? Because God is building something up inside of us where we begin to understand that spiritual warfare is a classroom where we can learn about the deceitfulness of sin and the power of the grace of God. Just remember that when you're in warfare, when you feel like everything is happening to you at once, just remember that this is a classroom for you and I where we can allow, where we can understand what John said in his last epistle. He said that, that what overcomes the world, even our faith. When we trust God and when we are looking at God, then that is overcoming this world system and it's overcoming any kind of attack that may come and we're building ourselves up in faith. This is what the focus of really Christianity is all about. It's not to be a better person. It's not to become, you know, to better myself. But it really is to live where we understand that God is for us. Romans chapter 8. That we are overcomers in all things because of the love of Christ. God's love makes us an overcomer. And that he's building, faith, building us up in faith. Lastly, and this is really best of all, we must affirm with confidence that we are in a winnable war. I think that when someone takes on an addiction in their life and they, they, want it, they, said they declare war on it, they have to understand that that war is already been won by Jesus Christ and that the enemy, when he, tries to, when he tries to attack, we have to understand that he is very limited in what he can do and the end game with God in us is that we would be blessed and that we would experience victory. 
And this is really the biblical portrait of the devil. And I want to close with this, that we know that all things, that we know that, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Try this this week. Everything that happens to you, translate it through this verse. Just translate it. Say, you know what? This is going to work together for my good. Remember how Joseph was thrown in jail? He was betrayed by his family, thrown in jail. He was there for 14 years. He was lied about. He gets out of jail. He's promoted to next to Pharaoh. This is Genesis chapter 50. He's standing there. What happens? The, whole, the full circle of God's plan. Joseph's family come to him. And Joseph is in a place where he has suffered so much that he has that moment of revenge, but he doesn't take it because something is now greater in Joseph's life than revenge. It's grace. And Joseph shows grace to his family. Why did all of that happen to Joseph? Because God wanted to use Joseph to bless him and his family. When we suffer, it's not, for, it's not just for us, but it's an opportunity for something to be built inside of us that we can later on bless people with the great grace of God. And I want us to understand that the devil is not as big as people think he is. He is we cannot be ignorant of his wiles, and I'm not diminishing the, the power of the devil, but I'm just saying that uh, do not have the improper um, inflated perspective of the devil understand who he is biblically and understand that he's been defeated and that when you the devil throws back your past at you or someone throws your past at you just understand that the devil has no power that to make you depressed or fearful with that because that's all been paid that's all been paid for and that's why i think the devil in many major religions does not want christ even though they believe in christ in some religions they don't, the devil does not want people to understand that Christ rose from the dead and that he overcame our sin. And when we go to God, it's our sin and our issues are not an unresolved issue. They are resolved. And we just have to say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and that I'm loved. And when we start our day or when we start a new step of faith in our life, that it always begins this way, that God is for us. God loves us. And it's not what, what our guilty conscience is saying or what a person is saying or what the devil throws at us. It really is that we are now in a victorious place and God is for us. And every bad thing that happens in a person's life can be converted to God's redemptive plan. Amen? And I know it's kind of some heavy-duty teaching here, but I just wanted to get this content out so that we have something to chew on next time we are thinking about this. And for the next couple, the next few weeks, we will be talking more about this on a practical level. But uh, it's good to be back and looking forward to talking about this subject. All right. And what we can do is, if you have any questions, um, you know, we can have like a question and answer time a little later. Amen. Okay. Let's close in prayer.